Really appreciate my steel products, S-T-I-H-L, steelusa.com, steeldealers.com. It's where you find the best, the finest handheld power tools, trimmers, blowers, saws, anywhere on the market. The pros use them. The pros you really use them. And your neighbor uses them. And I use them. And you ought to use them. You can find them around the corner at more than 10,000 dealers around the country. Uh, you note the uh, pretty orange, and uh, you've seen it when you're walking in your neighborhood or maybe you're driving down the street and you see people uh, getting jobs done. They have equipment for every season, particularly now, the autumn. Get those leaves done with blowers from steel. Just go check out uh, all of their different products. They have battery-powered, which I love. They have electric, if that's your thing. They have gasoline-powered. So whatever it is, they're going to get the job done for you. They are number one for a reason. That's S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, steelusa.com. Love my Boyer's Coffee. Drink it every day, religiously. Just got a package two days ago because I was running out, so I uh, placed an order online, and as always... 48 hours later, they were at my front door with my K-Cups. So uh, I was set to go. Been doing business in this region since 1965. They're a Colorado-run company. They're very philanthropic, and they have the finest coffee on the market. And they have so many different blends. I was thinking about this the other day. I think I'm in double digits in terms of coffee from Boyers that I have purchased and uh, brought into the house. So, you know, you, ha- you always have your favorites and your go-to, like Aspen Gold for me. But they have so many great Sumatra brands, uh, um, beans originating from Peru, from Colombia. You get the picture. They're terrific, and it's a wonderful way to start your day or to keep your day going. It is BoyersCoffee.com. Check them out. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Drew and Denver 7's Troy Rank talking all things Denver Broncos. Where it really started to sink in to me where they might be in trouble, Drew, that Houston game, the game I thought they were going to win like 30 to 10, and they barely, barely escaped. I'm like, okay, this is an issue. Plus, Drew has some thoughts on the World Series. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 174. Always glad to be along with you and appreciate uh, your listenership and your spreading of the word of what we do here on uh, the podcast. And uh, I had a great weekend last weekend. I had this planned for a while. One of my best friends, high school football teammate of mine, uh, lives in... Columbus, basically, just outside of Columbus, Ohio. And he got his master's degree at Ohio State. And uh, he's now a professor, actually, at Ohio University. And he said, hey, listen, I got four tickets to Penn State, Ohio State in Happy Valley. And this was about a month ago. And he said, you want to go? And and we were going to meet two other buddies. And I said, I'm in. And so I flew to Columbus on Thursday afternoon. We hung out Thursday night. 
Friday, I went down to Ohio University. This is like, I felt like actually a senior in high school where I was touring campuses trying to see where I might attend school the following year. Because I mentioned he was a professor or is a professor down at Ohio University. Well, he had to teach a class Friday morning. So we go down to uh, Athens, Ohio. I had never been there. It's about an hour and change uh, to the southeast of... Columbus. It's, it's the start of Appalachia. It's really close to the West Virginia border, um, giving you a quick geography lesson. And so he te- while he's teaching uh, his class that morning, I walked around campus in Athens. Beautiful campus, rolling hills, pretty, and it was bustling. A lot of people walking around in costume because Halloween was a couple of days away. So um, really liked uh, Ohio University. So if you have a kid that's uh, looking at... Uh, maybe moving to the Midwest to go to school. Ohio U, really good school, play in the MAC. So from there, we uh, got in the car and we started the trek uh, about, I don't know, close to five hours driving through. I I was surprised. I didn't realize this. We ended up driving, obviously, you're going through Ohio, then West Virginia, then you touch on Maryland, and then we headed north in Pennsylvania to State College, which State College is right dab smack in the middle of Pennsylvania, which is almost like a perfect rectangle. So we rolled into State College uh, late in the afternoon on Friday, and I hadn't been to State College since, oh, man like a lifetime ago. I I did, I want to say I did women's volleyball there 30 years ago, well, once or twice, but I hadn't been there. I couldn't recollect anything. Never been to a football game there. That's, that's for damn sure. So big campus, naturally sprawling campus, pretty, um, again, rolling hills of, of Pennsylvania and everything's in full bloom and the autumn colors. It was spectacular. And, uh, Went out to eat downtown. Everybody was, you know, fired up for the Penn State-Ohio State game. I think it was number two, Ohio State, against number 13, Penn State. Next day, flat-out gorgeous, not a cloud in the sky. We tailgate with uh, some some buddies of ours who had played lacrosse at Penn State. And um, good people, really good people. And everybody was uh, uh, excited about the game. So we go into the football game. Hundred, Just under 109,000 people at Beaver Stadium. It was awesome. And I don't know if you watched the game. The final score was not indicative of really how close it was. It ended up being, what, a 13-point win. It's like 44-31. Ohio State won, naturally. But Penn State, with about nine and change left in the fourth quarter, led the football game. They played great. Other than they were, I think they were minus four in turnovers, and that's it's hard to beat anybody if you're minus four, let alone the number two team in the country. But it, it, it turned out to be a, a marvelous game, and C.J. Stroud's outstanding. I don't know if there's a better receiver in college football, at least on you know one of the top teams, than Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, he catches everything, and even though you know they're going to throw him the football, he's always open. He went for, what, 10 catches, I think 185 yards in that game. Uh, so, so many great players abound on, on both sides. But that was one hell of a matchup, man. And for me, I don't get to do that that frequently. I mean, I'm so fortunate, I've said this many times, to do what I do. And you, and you broadcast games and you're sitting in your perch in the broadcast booth, you know, most of the time – 
in my career right now, it's in baseball, but I've done a ton of college football and NFL. And uh, so to sit in the stands and, and, you know, take in the whole atmosphere and really hear how loud it can get. And boy, it gets loud there. Um, it was fun. It was exhilarating. Had a great post game uh, tailgate. Got to do all those things that, you know, typically I don't get to do. So it was a lot of fun. And then, so now I've, I've toured Ohio, what did I say? Uh, Ohio University, Penn State. So on the drive back that night, the next morning, get up, and I wasn't leaving until late in the day on Sunday. We go over to, to uh, Granville, and I get to see Denison University again. My oldest son went to Denison, and I love Granville, Ohio, and I love Denison University. It's a great school, and it's a picturesque campus as well. So we go through that again, kind of reminiscing. And then I we go over to Ohio State University. I had been there, but it had been a long time, and you know, see all their athletic facilities and the campus. So I got to see four schools. And um, they're four fun schools to go to, I would think, right? Ohio U, Ohio State, Penn State, Denison. Little everything. So that was my college, uh, college weekend. Had a blast. Staying in football. So the Broncos uh, have struggled to win in North America, but they find a way with a little bit of Jacksonville's help to win a football game overseas as they won in London. And... We're going to have Troy Rank on, as you know, coming up, and we'll talk to Troy about all things Denver Bronco in a moment. But a couple of observations from that encounter with Jacksonville. Number one, bottom line is the Broncos found a way to win. They needed to win desperately. We know they needed to win. Uh, It wasn't a revelatory win in that, oh, my goodness, now they're going to turn their season around. I really don't think so. They have a lot of issues, uh, I think, and I'll talk to Troy about this. Had Jacksonville just run the football on first and goal at the one when they're already up seven to nothing. I think Jacksonville, assuming they punch it in there and Lawrence doesn't roll out and throw the pick, great catch by Justin Simmons, but still throw a pick there, and it's 14 nothing Jacksonville, I kind of like the Jaguars to win that football game. But bottom line is Broncos found a way. That's number one. Number two, uh, Nathaniel Hackett continues to learn He's a guy that I don't know, but from afar, he's very likable. Yet there are things that still are perplexing. When it's third and one on your own, I think it was 29-yard line in the second quarter, and you come up short, and then you have a delay of game penalty because seemingly you cannot make a decision as to whether to punt the football or not, that's where you're not operating properly. You go back to to low levels of football. You go back to high school football. If you're going for it, well, you're going to go for it on third and one. Obviously, it's third down. But you know if you don't get it, what your decision is going to be on fourth down. You ought to know. So to stand around and then lose five yards in a place on the field where, where five yards is very valuable. It's not like you're punting from you know, the plus 45 or from midfield where five yards, especially at the NFL level or major college level, shouldn't make that big of a difference to your punter because you're trying to get it into the coffin corner. So, you know, there's just little things that that stand out about the decision-making right now with Nathaniel Hackett. Is it going to get better? One would assume so. He's a bright guy. Does it get better either fast enough 
or is there a large enough leap forward in how the game is managed and how that offense performs in the second half of the year that when the decision in the offseason has to be made as to whether to bring him back, there's enough evidence that the growth is positive and therefore, yes, he should get year two. I always believe, and I've said this many times, you have a right to get better at whatever you do. Now, there's heavy scrutiny when you're talking about professional athletics, especially when you're talking about the NFL, especially when you're talking about a team that thought it had most of the pieces in place to win. You have a much shorter amount of rope, shall we say. But I still believe you have a right to get better. I believe Nathaniel Hackett will get better. Will he get better fast enough? And will he get better in a comprehensive enough way that he comes back for year two. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss more of that with Troy Rank in a few moments. On to Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson started poorly. He, he, I mean, at some point I saw in the Twitter universe, which is always a bastion of sanity, they thought that Rippon should come back in again after the first three passes, one that should have been intercepted, one that was intercepted, and the other one was an incompletion. He played better later on. He used his legs later on, and ultimately he produced a victory. You know what would help? You know, from afar, watching Russell Wilson that decade in Seattle, and they were good seemingly every year. They were the best team in the league one year. They should have been, you know, a two-time Super Bowl champs. Um, But Russell Wilson was an admirable guy. I think he's still an admirable guy. He gives of his time uh, generously, And I respect his positivity, his optimism, his confidence. You have to have that in life, especially the confidence as an athlete. I'm not suggesting he shouldn't have that positivity. But when it is on a loudspeaker in every interview that he does, when things overall are not going well, It just sometimes makes you cringe. It's like when I put out on Twitter, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and I certainly was not alone. After another loss, I said, please, 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 in the postgame press conference, please don't say Bronco country, let's ride. Because you ain't riding. It hadn't been good. He went back to it after the victory in London. I, I just think... The rah-rah stuff, just chill on a little bit. Answer the questions. You can certainly be be yourself, be positive. But the rah-rah stuff, you know, put it to the side for a little bit. If the Broncos go reel off six out of seven and and truly get themselves back in the playoff picture, which uh, I, I don't see happening based on what I've witnessed through the first eight games, if that were to happen, okay, You dismiss a lot of things when you win in sports, but this whole rah-rah stuff, and I saw it, the first time I ever saw it was the first time I ever met Russell Wilson, and that was, I was doing an an NFL game for ESPN Radio, Seattle and Cincinnati a few years ago, I may have mentioned this story at some point in time, Bill Polian was my partner, uh, the the longtime former general manager of Buffalo, well-respected uh, front office executive. And Russell Wilson saw him on the sideline. We were probably an hour and a half or two before the ball game. He was, 
you know, going through some warm ups and he came over, gave Bill Polian, you know, a hug and they and they chatted for a few minutes and I gave him their space. And then Russell Wilson went back to getting ready for the game. And then when he was going toward the tunnel to get fully dressed to come out, um, he came over to me and, you know, he introduced himself. And it was kind of funny. He said, hey, I'm Russell Wilson. And I was about to say, you know, no shit. But we talked for for a couple moments, and we, we you know, we had the the commonality of that I worked for the Rockies, uh, you know, or do the Rockies games, and you know, he was drafted by the Rockies. But at the end of every conversation, it was, hey, nice to meet you, go Hawks. So I mean, he he does that in everything he, he you know, he's always done that, and, and I guess that's who he is. I don't think it's phony. But I just think, you know, there, there's a, a place and time for it. And when things are not going well, maybe tone it down. That would be my advice. Anyhow, we are basically at the halfway point. Well, as we tape this, we're actually at the halfway point. Because if you're, you're eight and a half weeks in. They play 17 games now. And uh, you're eight and a half weeks into the season. So what are my surprises in the NFL? Rather than just name surprise teams, like Seattle, for one, is a surprise. They have played much better than most people had speculated. Maybe inside that, one of the biggest surprises that journeyman Geno Smith has has played at an elite level and outperformed Russell Wilson, uh, hands down. So that's been a surprise. The AFC West where the Broncos reside, has been a surprise on the negative side. Everybody said this is going to be one of the great divisions we've seen in in some time. You have four outstanding quarterbacks led by Patrick Mahomes, Justin uh, Herbert. You have Russell Wilson now in the mix. You have Derek Carr and the Raiders. Well, the Raiders aren't any good. The Chargers have had a lot of injuries. They haven't been particularly good. The Chiefs, I think, are the Chiefs. I think they're really one of the, the... you know, two or three or four really good teams. Clearly, we know there's a lot of parity in the NFL. We know the Broncos haven't been very good. And then the NFC East, which hasn't been a beast in a long time. They've been the NFC least for a while. Philadelphia, I don't want to say out of nowhere, but Jalen Hurts has moved up like several rungs on the ladder from whatever you thought he was a year ago uh, as a quarterback. Uh, he, he's playing at a super high level, and the Eagles are unbeaten. They're the only unbeaten team uh, as we speak today. The Giants have been a huge surprise. My Giants, if you told me before the season we we're going to be 6-2, and two, I'd say, and, and what drugs are you on? And Dallas is really good, and they withstood the situation where they played without Dak Prescott for a considerable amount of time. They're really good, and they, and they have the ability to blow teams out. And Washington, which is a mess, at least from an ownership standpoint, they're 500. When I saw that today, by the way, I didn't realize it. I didn't realize Washington was four up and four down. Because, again, as we speak today, Washington's in the news because apparently and thankfully, Dan Snyder, it looks like, is going to put the commanders up for sale because he just needs to go away. And I think everybody who follows Washington, follows the NFL, want to see him just go away. But but on the on the field, they're four and four. So the NFC East has uh, you know certainly been a surprise. Rams kind of a surprise because of the defending Super Bowl champs. They haven't been very good. And then you come to Green Bay and Tampa Bay, quarterback by future Hall of Famers Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, 
and neither one of those teams have been very good. And and that's a surprise. No getting around that. And for the first time for me, when you talk about the top tier of quarterbacks, the elite guys, I mean, forever and ever, it was Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, you know, you threw Drew Brees in there. Well, we know that Peyton's now doing commercials and doing the Manning cast and, and everything he touches turns to gold as well as should. He's so talented. Uh, we know that Drew Brees is, you know, no longer playing. But it was still Tom Brady, and it was Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, two-time MVP last couple of years, right? They're not very good. Tampa's not very good. And maybe the mantle has truly been passed to Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Somebody asked me the other day, if you could take one, who would you take, Patrick Mahomes or, or Josh Allen? And, man, I hemmed and hogged. I love Patrick Mahomes. And I said, you know, I think I would have to take Josh Allen just from a pure, like, just to watch. Because he, I mean, he runs over guys. And Patrick Mahomes, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, we know he can be elusive and he can pick up valuable yards with his feet. But Josh Allen, I think, truly loves to run. And they have designed quarterback runs with him. And ain't nobody want to tackle that guy. So I, I probably would take Josh Allen. I'm not saying Josh Allen's better than Patrick Mahomes, but from an excitement standpoint. I was talking to my man Marky about uh, the kind of the transition with quarterbacks uh, earlier. And it's, it, it's kind of fascinating how it's finally happened. But for 20 years, it was the same It was the same guys pretty much, right? It was Brady and Manning and Rodgers and, you know, then there was kind of the, you know, Breeze was somewhat in there in that next class. But it's it's changed. He also asked me, Marky did, if I thought that Jalen Hurts was in the same class, given what they've done this year and, and how well he has played, with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. And I said, I got to pump the brakes on that just yet. I mean, this is really, this this is his coming out party, so to speak. But I don't know, not that Josh Allen has done it for for an extended period, um, but he's done it now for a few years, and especially last year where you go, man, this this guy's elite. And Patrick Mahomes, it, seemingly from day one. But uh, Jalen Hurts is coming, man. Jalen Hurts is definitely coming. Hey, quick thought on the World Series that's transpiring. Two to one as we speak today with Philadelphia moving in front. After a five-homer, seven-nothing victory in uh, Philadelphia at the bank last night. You know, going back to when the playoffs started, was Philadelphia probably the least talked about team in the postseason? I mean, people talked about the Mariners because they hadn't been to the postseason in more than 20 years, longest drought in Major League Baseball. People naturally always talk about the Yankees. Atlanta was a hot topic. They had played great baseball throughout the second half. They were the defending world champions. You had Houston, Dusty Baker. They're a favorite. You get the picture. The Dodgers naturally were talked about quite a bit. Nobody was talking about Philadelphia. They were the last seed. Least talked about team. They may win the whole damn thing. And Bryce Harper, that dude hits a home run every ball game. And then him whispering to Alec Bohm what to look for, and then Bohm next swing hits one out. Pretty special stuff, man. 
And the legend grows of Bryce Harper. Last week, talking to Tom McCarthy, the longtime television voice of the Phillies, about Harper and the fact that not only is this guy a good dude, but I made the analogy to LeBron James. He and LeBron James on the cover of Sports Illustrated, you know, barely out of diapers. They're going to be the next great thing. And both of them made good on those predictions. LeBron, legendary status in basketball circles. And Bryce Harper is well on his way to putting together a Hall of Fame uh, resume. Already an MVP twice in the league. And what he's done in the postseason, eight home runs so far. Crazy stuff. I still think it's going to be a good series the rest of the way. But uh, the fighting fills. How about that? All right, let's get to our interview of the week. I've known Troy Rank for a long time. Our our kids at various times uh, played travel ball uh, together. Obviously, Troy with the Denver Post was on the Broncos, on the Broncos beat. He was on the Rockies beat uh, for a long time. And then he transitioned over to television at Channel 7 and, uh, and, and covering the Broncos. And he does it uh, as well as, if not better than anyone out there. He's always hustled. He's always looked to break stories. He's always looked to... Um, to pass along accurate information and up-to-date information. Uh, you know, he did it with the Rockies, and he's been doing it for quite some time with the Broncos. So I thought we'd uh, delve into everything uh, Bronco land. And uh, as we start this uh, interview, literally, Troy had been on the ground back in the States for about two hours after returning with his wife uh, from London and uh, and spending time overseas uh touring a little bit and also naturally uh, covering the Broncos and their matchup with Jacksonville. So uh, this week, our uh, chat is with Troy Rank from KMGH Channel 7. Well, you know what time zone you're in? Do you know what country you're in, Troy? I am hopefully back in the mountain time zone. It's been a whirlwind. I was in Paris on Monday, London on Sunday, and now back to Colorado, (laughs) whatever today is, Tuesday. It's been crazy, but I've enjoyed every second of it. Did you have a good time in London? Yeah, it was great. London was fantastic. I'd never been. I'd never been to Europe. I've been to, I think, 41, 42 states, Mexico, Canada. London reminded me a lot of uh, uh, Toronto and New York, like a combination of New York City and Toronto, real international uh, flavor. Paris was a one-day trip. You know, Leanne came with me, and so we just literally took the channel, two-hour train, jumped off, saw as many things as we possibly could in, like, 12 hours and took the train back to London. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? It's awesome that you can do that. And um, I was in Paris a couple of years ago, and it had been uh, been a few years since I'd been there. Paris is great. I mean, it's all. And London's great. Beautiful, beautiful. You know, they're world class cities, man. That's that sim- simple. And there's a ton to see and a ton to do. Well, it's just you appreciate the history. I love history, and you really. It's like when the first time I went to Wrigley Field, and you're like, man, you can feel the history. When you go to buildings that were built in like 1400s, that's when you're like, okay. The states yeah. are cool, but we don't have stuff like that over here. <laughs> no, I know. I always say this, and obviously we there's so many great things to see in our country, but, you know, we, we'll get excited about a building that was, you know, built in the 1800s. And over there, like you said, oh, you know, they, they have narrow streets because they were, they were built seven, eight hundred years ago, the buildings, <laughs> and there's, there's no cars or anything like that. So pretty wild. Pretty wild. Um let, let me start here. As this season has unfolded, 
there were expectations. There's a new coaching staff. There's Russell Wilson, naturally. There's what looked to be a very strong defense. How surprised are you that as we tape this, the Broncos, even though they won on Sunday in London, they're three and five and have, especially offensively, numerous issues. How, how surprising is that to you, Troy? Yeah, it's stunning, Drew. I mean, I've, since Peyton Manning retired following the Super Bowl 50 win, they have an average in uh, 21 points a game. And this was going to be the year the veil of darkness was going to be lifted. You've got an offensive-minded head coach. You've got a nine-time Pro Bowl quarterback that they were going to score, you know, 23, 24 points a game and, and end their streak of five straight losing seasons and end their streak of six years without a playoff berth. I mean, the playoff berth, I had said, you know, that's going to be right on the number. I had them going 10 and 7 before the year. So, you know, I could easily see them not making the playoffs before the season, but being right there. But having an offense that was averaging 14 points a game through the first seven games, I mean, I could have never predicted that. With Russell Wilson, you think he'd fall out of bed and be good for 20 a game. That's just been the part. Their defense has lived up to expectations. Mm-hmm. Offensively, I mean, it's to the point where they're like, you know, you think they're going to stop the game and celebrate first down by giving them the football. It was so bad. And they're just off. Before they went against the Jaguars, they were two for 17 on touchdowns in the red zone. They finally went three for three. On Sunday, but yeah, Drew, it's a shock. It's just a shock. Not again. It's and this was the easy part of the schedule. That's why people are like, well, they still got a shot. And like, you know, when you played the Colts, you played the Raiders, you played the Jets, you played the Seahawks. You need to win. You had to win two of those minimum, if not three. And so to lose to those teams, especially the Jets and Colts at home, the Colts game you just gave away with that Wilson interception was one of the worst of his career right before it is toward the end of regulation. But, yeah, it's been a shock that they're not better offensively. I would have thought at worst scenarios they would be 5-3 and three right now, and instead it's upside down at 3-5. Troy, what was your first inkling that there were issues? I mean, was it, as we all did, watch that Seattle game in, uh, you know, the first night of the season or the first the first weekend of the season? Or did you see something during camp uh, that indicated, hey, this may not be so rosy? Well, there were days in camp the defense dominated them. But the defense is good enough to really, okay, we've seen this before. Defense has its big days in camp. Uh, but there were a couple of days. There was a one specific day in camp where the, de- the offense couldn't get a first down and basically was like 0 for 20 passing in the red zone one day. Like, man, that's didn't expect that. But where it really started to sink into me where they might be in trouble, Drew, wasn't Seattle because it was such a unique game. Russell going back there. I have never heard a pro football crowd that loud in my life. And honestly, the loudest I've ever heard a crowd like that was when I was in the crowd when the Diamondbacks beat the Yankees in the World Series in the Oxbox, that kind of noise. And it never stopped. It was like a European soccer game. It never stopped. So to me, that was a bit of an anomaly game. You know, it was like the Super Bowl for the Seahawks, it felt like, the way their fans reacted. And good for them. I mean, their, their team. But where I thought they started thinking they might be in trouble was that Houston game. When they, they luckily beat Houston in one of the ugliest games they've ever played. And then you play San Francisco and you need a, you know, a safety essentially to win that game. And then you go to the rate. It's just, it, so other than a half against the Seahawks, a half against the Raiders, and then a half against, uh, well, I can use, uh, the Jaguars, it's just they haven't played a full offensive game once. But you're asking me when it started to concern me, that Houston game. The game I thought they were going to win like 30 to 10 and they barely, barely escaped. I'm like, okay, this is an issue because bad, you know this through from covering sports forever. 
when you struggle to score in sports, it's really, really hard to win on the road because you're one mistake away from losing all the time. I mean, I covered the Rockies doing this for years, and it, that's why I'm like, man, they can't score points. They're not going to win on the road. And they haven't, yeah. I mean, outside of London. And, and quite frankly, from, from, you know, across the pond on this side, as I watched that game in London, had Jacksonville – not been, you know, and you've got to put it on Lawrence for throwing that pick. You're, it's first and goal on the one. You punch it in there, which you ought to do if you're worth the crap. It's 14 nothing. I don't know if the Broncos fully recover from that. 100%. They lose that game. Justin Simmons saved their season. Now, two things can be true at once. He made a great play, and Trevor Lawrence just made an awful throw. He didn't see him. I mean, I mean Simmons jumped back, but... The throw is basically threw it right to him. It was like he just looked right past him. But I, I'm with you. There's no, there was nothing to suggest a Broncos offense on the road, whether you call it a neutral environment, slightly partisan crowd for them. They're not coming back from 14 to nothing with that offense. They're just not. But yeah. to get that moment, it changed it. And here's how low the bar's been set, Drew, which is crazy. I mean, George Payton's talking about the trade deadline and how we're, we're still in it to win it and we're still encouraged by, you know, the offense is trending in the right direction. So you have two scoring drives, two good drives, and that I mean that just speaks to how low the bar is. We had two great drives, so we're ready now. Here we. What What do we make of, of Russell Wilson from afar? Uh, it was easy to be enamored of him and appreciate his talent, his uh, perpetual upbeat personality, his um, you know optimism that's off the charts, and now when he's in your town or our town in this case, right? And you see him day to day and you're not winning. All of that stuff almost seems phony and over the top if you want to be a cynic of any regard. Is that a fair assessment as you follow it day to day? Yeah, I mean, I do think he he is genuine. It's just uh, it comes, it is corny. There's no way around it. And I believe he'd be better off continuing to try to be Carlton from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air instead of, uh, Will, Will Smith. He, it's like he's trying so hard to be cool and be something he's not. And I, part of it, he's married to Sierra. She's a celebrity, but all of that stuff works if you're winning. But when you lose and then you put stuff on Instagram where you're selling merchandise, you're selling your gear and you're doing, I mean, the Danger Witch commercials with Subway were, whew. You know, again, I like Russ. I mean, those are, those are cringy. I, I don't care what anybody says. Those are cringeworthy commercials. Um, you know, it's just, he, he is different. He's obsessed with winning. That's true. I, I do think, though, at some point, it's, it can be too much with all the traveling, all the social media, all the commercials, everything at age now, soon to be 34. It just felt like it, and a new team and receivers that aren't nearly as good as DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. It all kind of caught up with him, um, but it'll work if he wins. I'll put it that way. And some of the stuff off the field, I think it's unfairly scrutinized. He's, he is a good person. He spends his off days at Children's Hospital. He does a lot of good stuff. Where Russell, for me, and why would you ever take advice from me, you know, lowly sports writer guy, I just, we don't need to know everything. Like the high knees comment in London, for example. Yeah. All you have to do is say, hey, I, what were you doing on the plane? I got some treatment. I feel great. I can't wait to get back out there. And then when he says, I'm doing high knees for four hours, I, I don't think he intentionally does it, but then it makes his teammates look bad. And then Justin Simmons walks up, hey, what were you doing on the plane? Sleeping? Oh, 
Well, your quarterback was doing high knees for four hours. So it's just stuff like that. He he kind of overshares. Just t- you know, just tell us a little bit and then go play. Now again, if you're oversharing and they're six and two right now, it's cool. It's oh, did you see what Russell did today? Oh, that commercial is goofy as heck. But when you're three and five and you've got nearly as many touchdowns as interceptions, your lowest completion percentage of your career, and it, you just look completely uncomfortable in the offense, it's not going over well. And that's the thing that surprised me with Russell is all of a sudden he tried to reinvent himself as Drew Brees. You know, it's like he wants to play to his 45, so I'm going to be a pocket passer. You've never been that. Just be who you are. Be like in, in your parlance, Drew. But guys, best pitches his curveball, and he's like, nah, I'm going all fastball now. And you'd be like, uh, we traded for you because of your curveball. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's why it, between the offense not totally being a fit and him trying to be something he's not, it's been messy. And maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel with the way he played, especially at the end of that game against Jacksonville, where he just ran around a little bit and he made plays. That's who Russell Wilson is. That fourth, that last drive, that's Russell Wilson. But, you know, is that, Troy, is that on Russell Wilson or is that on Nathaniel Hackett's, uh, you know, the old line we're trying to put, you know, a, a square peg in a round hole? Well, they were in it together because normally – I mean, I, I'm not I'm not opposed to blaming a coach for trying to make somebody into something they're not. Like, we acquired this guy, and we can't believe he can't do that. Well, did you watch him? He never's done that. <laughs> Why would he do it here? Uh, but in the, this case, they collaborated on this offense. And that's what I'm saying. Like, Russell got there and was like, yeah, I want to do this. I want to be Drew Brees. I want to be Tom Brady. I want to play down 45. Well, he doesn't particularly see the middle of the field well because of his height. He's a guy that moves the pocket. He's the guy that moves around. So I think if it were me with Hackett, after like game two against Houston, and you saw a little bit against San Francisco, he's got to rush for like 25 yards a game. He's got to get like two first downs with his feet. Move him around. Just force him to move the pocket then. And, I, again, they were just – I think the deference Hackett had for him, and then Russell trying to respect him, it just led to a mess. Instead of a coach either putting his foot down or Russ putting his foot down, they were both trying to make each other happy, and in the process, nobody's happy. Yeah, you know, I, I rarely it, I pick my spots as you know to tweet things out, but um, after the previous week, I said, please, 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 God forbid, he says after his press conference, uh, let's ride. I was like, please don't, just don't do it, just, just he didn't don't do it. it. A couple of times, he's back to doing it. I, know. I was hoping in London he'd say Broncos country, Calio. Yeah, right. Again, that's the thing with Russell. Like, I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't have self awareness, but. He gets so locked into, I guess, what he's doing. Like, if he did, for instance, if they, when they got a touchdown, if he would have celebrated like a Royal Guard marching with his high knees, I think people would have thought it was funny. Like, he yeah. gets a, a little self-deprecating. But he, it's like he's so earnest. You're, it's like, dude, are you have any self-awareness how this is playing right now? The one day he did the Let's Ride, I can't remember what press conference it was. It was like, Broncos country, let's ride. <laughs> oh, it was bad. It was bad. I, I, that's why I said, I, I think I tweeted out, I said, right? Yeah. He's after the Colts. I'm like, when he played arguably his worst game of, as a pro, it's certainly his top five. And that pass he made at the end of that game where he got picked, throwing to Tyree Cleveland, who's a practice squad guy against, um, I can't even think of the cornerback's right. name, from Stephon Gilmore. Stephon Gilmore. He's a former player of the year. I was down there by the mascot, Thunder, writing – it's like because it's like two minutes left, and we're down there getting ready to go on the field because we're going to do a live shot. And I keep waiting to hear the crowd cheer for a field goal. And I finally turn, and I'm like, why am I not hearing the crowd cheer? 
And like, oh, they threw an interception. I'm like, what? Who? He's like, <laughs> so then I run over and see the replay. I'm like, oh my god, that is quite possible the dumbest play call of the season, which is saying something for a team that tried a 64 yard field goal in Seattle. And all they had to do was throw an incompletion and kick the field goal. And excuse me, Hackett is like, well, ever since he didn't use Russell on fourth and five in Seattle, his knee-jerk reaction, his overcorrection was like, well, whatever Russell wants, he gets. No, on that night he didn't have it. Kick the field goal, win twins twelve to six. Their season would still be like feel relevant at four and four, barely, but it would. Yeah, it's just. But that night when he said, "Let's ride," I was like, "Okay." Yeah. Seriously, hey. what, are, what are we doing, man? You don't have to say it after losses. You really don't. He's he's got to read the room a little better. On to Nathaniel Hackett, who I I appreciated again from afar, his enthusiasm. I don't think you have to be a cookie cutter coach and this is the way you're going to do things. Um, So I I appreciate many of those things. But even last week, Troy, I'm watching you say that, you know, remember where early they don't they don't make it. I think they're at their own 29. They don't make it on third and one. And he ends up, this isn't a midfield where it's not a big deal if you get a delay a game. He ends up taking a delay a game because the offense is still on the field as if they're contemplating, do we go fourth and one? Football, if you go in high school and you're watching a well-coached high school team, they know if we don't get it, you know, it's punt team, get ready. We didn't get it. They're punting. It's not, you know, before third down, whether you're going to go on fourth down. And that just shows me there's still a lot of novice in him running a sideline, running a game. Yeah, well, that's why they had to bring in Jerry Rossberg after, what was it, the San Francisco game? I can't even remember now. It's like the third Just game. Just a couple, week, couple weeks in. Yeah, it's after the Houston game. They have to bring a guy in because basically the offensive coordinator and the data game strategy guy weren't speaking up. It wasn't that Hackett wasn't decisive. It's like he needs that voice in his head being like, hey, if we get to four to five, we're going here. If we get to four to one. It's just a constant. It's not dialogue. It's literally just like background noise in your head that you're just listening to it and go, oh, what, what do we have on third and six? Okay, yeah. Like you don't have to respond to them, but it does reflect on the head coach. When they're the most penalized team in the league, that's a direct reflection of coaching. When you continue to have issues with game operation, they had to delay a game on a kickoff yesterday on Sunday. I mean, how does that happen? I saw that was when, you know, we saw with Vance Joseph with Brock Olivo, and there were times that there's no question that Hackett gets too emotional and the idea that he's a head coach and the play caller, it's been too much. He's been over his skis. Now it's looked a little better since Rosberg got there. I still, and they won't do it, and we asked them again today, I would make Clint Kubiak the play caller where Hackett's still heavily involved, but he's the head coach. Just like Sirianni did with the Eagles. He took himself out. and Because I don't think most of these young coaches are good enough to do it. They're not all Sean McVay. They're not. Just because they've worked under a guy who did it doesn't mean they're ready to do it. And Hackett brings great energy. Players, for the most part, do like him. But it just feels like there's moments he's over his skis. And he, he has a good offensive mind. But if the game's getting too fast for you, then you be like, widen the lens. Be the head coach. See what that looks like. And if, if he doesn't, I don't know that he survives after the season. If they go 6-11, and 11, if they go 5-12, and 12, I, I don't know how he would survive that because of the investment they've made in Russell Wilson. I wanted to ask you, Troy, what what did your intel tell you? What was your gut? Had they lost in, in London, which, you know, early on they were on their way to losing. And we talked about, you know, if if – 
you know, Jacksonville doesn't do what Jacksonville typically does and just run the football on first and goal from the one four times. And hopefully you're up from their perspective, 14, nothing, you know, with a bye week, was there a possibility that, that the Broncos made a move this early in, in this young man's tenure, the young man from a head coaching standpoint? Yeah, I mean, the only way I think it could have happened is if they would have lost like 27 to 3, you know, just comically bad. And you right. see, you know, 15 penalties, 27 3, something where you're just, again, where they're the topic of national conversation. I mean, that's what killed Hackett is they've had, what, four standalone games where he ends up, not this past one, but the previous three, where he ends up a topic of national sports radio, national ESPN for stuff that the Broncos have done. Uh, that was what was killing him. And so they were giving him a little bit of space with that, and that, you know, had he just opened up with four straight Sunday games on Sunday afternoon, that it wouldn't have been the scrutiny he's faced. But, Drew, I don't think he would have been fired. I, I do think there would have been staff changes, whether you say that he stops calling plays and the offensive coordinator gets fired or the special teams coach. I think if they had lost, we would have seen at least one staff change for me. Uh, I just – George Payton, you know how this works. You've done this longer than I have. If you're at the GM and you fire the coach, where does the blame now go? To the GM. Yeah, you're, you're the next guy in the firing line. Yeah, you're next in line. And so the feeling is they want to give him the season to totally evaluate it. But I, I do know he did himself a huge favor by not just getting boat raced by the Jaguars in London, which it looked like was going to happen in that first quarter. Yeah, and I think the new ownership group um... – They didn't hire him. That's the problem. That, that's what made it just interesting yeah. enough you had to pay attention because George Payton hired him. And the ownership group, they signed off on Russell Wilson, the contract, but they didn't hire – Nathaniel Hackett, and they, he has the biggest staff in the league. And two weeks in, you got to bring in someone to help him. I mean, there's just things that have happened. That you're like, hey, yeah, they didn't hire George Payton either, um, which I'm, you, he, he's well aware. Of. So today, you, as you're flying back and uh, you're, you're doing it from thirty-five thousand feet, keeping people abreast of the fact that the Broncos did trade Bradley Chubb to Miami. Interesting trade. Um, you know, they, they get a first rounder. Of course, they had lost a first rounder. Is this an acknowledgement, uh, pretty clear cut that they're not as close as they thought? Yeah. I mean, they, George Payton said all the right things that we're still trying to win now. We believe in this team, but I, I'm sorry. If you're five and three or six and two, you're not trading your top patch pusher. You're just not. You can live with it. And then if you can't resign them in the offseason, you take the third round comp pick. And move on because you got back to the playoffs for the first time in six years. But it does show you, uh, Drew, that offensively they need some issues. They're going to have to, they're going to have to address some issues with off the offensive line and they need some picks to do that. And they are further away than I think they thought. Not defensively. That's the thing. And George Payton's had some great drafts. You know, Baron Browning was a third rounder. Cooper was a late rounder. And he's good at Pastor Tans, one of the top cornerbacks in the league. But as I'm talking to you about all these, these are all defensive players. Quinn Miners has been okay at right guard. But their their line, I would suspect, uh, suspect after this year, they're going to have at least three new starters on their offensive line. And to balance this out with Russell Wilson making money, with, you know, you're going to, you have Randy Gregory making some money. You got Garrett Bowles making some money. To make this work, Drew, they've got to have cheap labor, frankly. And to do that, you need some top picks who come in and play well right away. And that's why they had to do this deal, is they weren't going to re-sign Bradley Chubb after paying Gregory and liking the development of Browning, Bonito, and, and Jonathan Cooper. 
But yeah, they are. To me, I've said this to people. I, the, I thought Russell Wilson could raise the play of some of these guys on offense, but they they're just not there offensively. Now, Greg Dolchitz, uh, the tight end, if he keeps coming on, you got something there. And Jerry Judy looks like he's finally gaining traction. But they're just not as good as the offensive talent he had in Seattle, mainly because their receivers don't match up to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And as bad as his lines were in Seattle, I'm not sure his lines much better here, frankly. Yeah, Troy, is it possible this wide receiver room, I saw it as high, I mentioned this on the pod last week, uh, USA Today had done a piece in in August, and they ranked every wide receiver group in the NFL, and I know Patrick went down early, but the Broncos were rated, again, by one uh, you know national entity, USA Today, as the fourth-ranked wide receiver group in the NFL. Are, were they just clearly overrated? Yeah, for me they were. I, I didn't see them that high. I thought they had a chance to be in the top half, meaning top 15, 12th overall. Losing Patrick Hurt, and in hindsight it hurt even more, because he was the heart and soul guy. He was an SOB in that room that held guys accountable, and he never dropped passes. And you look at the common thread in those first four or five games, they had what, 10 drop passes, they were tied for the league lead, and they missed him. And Cortland Sutton's a nice player, but he is inconsistent. He has eight catches for 120 yards, and then the last two games, I think he has two catches for, like, 20 yards. I mean, and he did this last year, too. He just disappears for long stretches. So I do think they were – and part of the reason they were, they were valued that way is because we thought that Russell Wilson was going to elevate them, and that has not happened. Now, we're seeing some of that with Judy, and Hamler starting to show some flashes, and maybe Dulcich's the tight end is going to be a guy. But, yeah, to answer your question, I do think at fourth, clearly they were overrated. Whether Patrick was here or not, that's too high. Yeah. One, one more question on the Broncos, and I want to transition to something else real quickly. Um, is Bronco mania you, – you, you grew up here. I've lived here for 36 years. Is it as fierce – and I know it's easy to say, no, it's not, because, you know, they've lost six straight years. But is it as fierce in your mind – as ever before, if they all of a sudden start winning? Yeah, it is. The one thing I've noticed is just their tolerance and lack of patience for this team when they stink. I mean, you saw that against the Jets. It's a one-score game with 435 left, and fans are leaving the stadium because they had no confidence in the offense. And even that overtime game against the Colts, fans walking out. That's what's changed for me with Broncos fans because they're loyal. They travel. Every road game I go to, they show out. They show up and show out. The difference now is the anger and animosity and the lack of patience is real. They just don't want to hear about it anymore. It's just don't talk about it, be about it. And every year it's supposed to be different. And this year was wildly different because of the reframed expectations. And I'm as guilty as anyone. I thought for sure they'd have a winning record with Russell Wilson. Uh, but would it re- rekindle quickly? I do think it would. But I've, over what, I've, what has changed from like 16 and 17, is they just don't get the benefit of the doubt anymore. Fans are just over it. And, and, it's, and it's mainly 90% of it has to do with the fact that they're bad and boring because their offense doesn't score points. I mean, that's what's changed is the fans just don't have patience for a team that's hard to watch, and they're hard to watch when you score 14 points a game. Yeah, Troy, I used that exact phrase on a number of occasions this year with the team you used to cover in the Rockies in that 
We know they weren't good, and they were also boring. And and you and I both covered them a number of years where you know the record at the end of the year wasn't pretty, but there was some sex appeal because of a you know a Tulowitzki, a Cargo, or a, you know a, an emergence of a Troy, uh, of a Trevor Story. But you know the Broncos kind of in the same boat right now. They're hard to watch. Yeah, I mean, listen, and it's just and everything we do now is framed through the perspective of fantasy football and gambling. I'm not naive to that. You know, if this team was scoring 17 points a game with a winning record in the late 80s, people would love it. You know, oh, it's the 85 Bears, it's the Giants, yeah. and defense wins. Nobody sees football that way. Nobody watches football that way anymore. They watch it through the offensive lens. So when your team stinks offensively, that, unfortunately, for the Broncos, is what colors the opinion of you. So I just I do think there's hope because I'm not one that's saying Russell Wilson washed. Is he a declining some? Probably. He's going to be 34. I do think he has a chance to get back to be a good quarterback, even if he's not great. If he gets to be where he's good, they should be able to score 20, 23 points a game. That may not be this season. It might take a new coach. It may take something. But I'm not ready to give up on Russell Wilson just yet. I'm just not. But you're right, Drew. When you don't score points in the NFL, it's just fans have no patience for it. Yeah. I, I thought I said this last week about Wilson. Uh, the the arm strength still there, you know the the comparisons to Drew Brees early on. When you watch Drew Brees, especially his last year, I mean he couldn't throw it across the street. Uh, he just had lost, you know he he couldn't make any throw any longer. Russell Wilson threw a ball almost seventy yards in the air last week. The arm strength is still there. The decision making's been off for whatever reason. And going back to a, I thought a wonderful point you made. The one thing when I looked at his numbers from last year that were a grand departure from most of his other seasons, he did not look to run last year. And that has to be part of his game. And we saw him productive with his feet last week. And and again, I give you a lot of credit. I think you're right on the money going forward. You hope Russell, you know, can convert a couple of third downs or uh you know, run for 25, 30 yards each week because it really puts, uh, you know, DBs in conflict. Yeah, I mean, that's the key. He's just got to be Russell Wilson. I mean, I, I love watching him because he reminded me of Roger Staubach, who was my favorite player. He doesn't run around like that, but nobody was better spinning out of that than making a play. And it's like his, Drew, his receivers haven't figured out what it's like when he spins out of trouble. Their heads are turned. Find open space and stop. <laughs> Come back to the yeah. ball. It's just that's what's been so stunning. Like, what do you guys do in practice when he runs out and the play and you're coloring outside the line? You just keep running your route? Like, it's, yeah. what are we doing? But, again, we saw a glimpse of it against the Jaguars where he took off and had a huge third down conversion on that final drive. That's Russell Wilson. That has to be part of his game. And I'm not saying RPO. Run, no, run with purpose, scramble with purpose. Two first downs a game can make a huge difference to set up play action. Hey, last one I'll leave you with. I really appreciate the time. You, you, you need to go get about 12 hours of sleep. Um, but uh, you made the transition a number of years ago. You're still right, obviously. But, you know, to the television side, when, when you take a moment and look back, uh, because I know you were raised uh, on the Prince side, and that's where I, I think the core of who you are, knowing you as long as I have, that that's you know that's your foundation. But when you're doing the other things now, and you become like a multimedia uh, type of entity, uh, how do you reflect back now on on where you've been and, and where you are? 
Yeah, I miss writing longer pieces. That's about the only thing I miss. I love covering baseball. You know that, Drew. I love baseball. My kids are involved in it. We're a baseball family in so many ways. It's just I didn't want to travel anymore. I wanted to be home. I wanted to have something resembling a normal life. And the part I love about TV is the adrenaline of it. You do it great, as good as anybody in this market. It's just, And when you say it, you say it. It's over. And I just had to learn, like in print, I knew exactly when I was at 500 words, 1,000 words, 1,500 words. I could tell you within two words, you know, on deadline. Okay, it's it's 502 file. You know, it's five, it's 750, 750 words file. And it was just, it's just how you learn to write. And, and when I was transitioned to TV is, you know, having voices in your head and knowing when they say you've got 15 seconds in and 15 seconds out, they mean 15 seconds in and 15 out. It's not radio. <laughs> right. You can't go 22 and 31. And they're going to commercial and they're asking you, like, do you not listen to the director and the producer? What are you doing? And matching what you're saying to VO. That was the other thing. It would be similar in print where you're like, well, we can't run the feature without the photo. We can't be talking about a bunch of guys that we don't have video of. It's a visual medium. <laughs> I do enjoy TV. I enjoy the immediacy of it. I still write every day. I just, you know, it's not as long as what I used to write. It's, so it's kind of a hybrid role. The multimedia types of it, there's days it's annoying. You know, it's like, dang, man, I just want to sit down and craft a story. I don't want to have to post seven things and do this video and that. And But it is now part of the routine. So it doesn't feel as weird as it did maybe four or five years ago. Uh, but I miss I miss parts of being in print. Prints have changed a lot since I left, you know, especially the Rockies read eight years ago. But watching people like you on TV and others, and I, I just I think I've found my voice there. I've got a lot of room to improve, but I do feel like it feels not as natural as writing would ever feel. But it does feel like it's okay. I can do this. I, it makes sense to me now. Yeah, you know, going back to the fifteen second thing, that's one of the beautiful things about podcasts, right? Podcasts, if you feel passionate about something for forty minutes, talk for forty minutes. When you when we when we both have done talk radio and you're like, Oh man, I gotta fill up three hours, it's February twenty eighth, ain't nothing happening. I cannot talk about the NFL draft two months away and who they may take in the sixth round. Uh, it's mind numbing, but you, I'll leave you with this: the uh, I I miss the importance of print, and one of the one of the things I think that that's been unfortunate, especially with young people, is they don't read enough and and they and they don't embrace good writing, whether it's covering you know the Broncos escapades in in London or it's a, a more in depth. A piece on a Larry Walker or or a Russell Wilson, and you just you don't see as much of that, and that is a shame. And you know, I I still like to hold a newspaper, and uh, you know, I guess I'm I'm dating myself, but uh, those those days by and large are gone. Yeah, the permanency of print. I mean, I still remember the days of the driveway scoop and that adrenaline when you had a driveway scoop, and it was such a great day, and you know, the competition couldn't catch up for 24 hours. Now everything happens within, you know, two to five minutes. You know, if you have it or don't have it, you usually can confirm it within two minutes or five. I mean, so it's just, it's changed everything. The immediacy is not great for journalism necessarily. It, it means the appetite for information has never been greater. But to your point, long-form journalism, you have to really search it out now. Like you have to, like I do, I still love to read, but yeah, my kids don't grow up with that. Everything's on their phone and they just yeah. don't consume it the way you and I did. And that part is missed. And the permanency of print, 
Like, when you make a mistake in print, I mean, I was just when you have a typo or something like, oh, my God, it just ruins your day. And that speaks to how permanent it was. It's a permanent record, and that's just not really the case anymore. I mean, it's just it's not viewed that way. But, again, I had to evolve. I had to pivot, and I had an opportunity to do TV, and I figured there's no other way in the world this opportunity is going to come back around. So I figured I might as well take a shot at it because I knew I could go back to writing if I had yeah. to. But I like I gotta give this a shot, and it's been fun. I mean, the team stinks; they've stunk basically outside of that since I moved to TV. We haven't had a winning season. You're the reason. You're yeah, at fault. Yeah, one when they were nine and seven and sixteen, and then yeah. they've had it five straight since then. So yeah, it's my fault now. Well, I'm happy for you. You've made the transition nicely, and I and I know I for all Bronco fans, uh, you know, if they want to know what's going on. You're you're a must visit in, in wherever they may find you, whether it's Channel Seven or you know on the print side uh, as well, or your podcast that uh, that you're cranking out a couple of times a week. Man, it's good catching up. We'll uh, next time we'll talk uh, we'll talk baseball, how to get those uh, those Rockies fixed. Also, uh, but we'll do that we'll do that at another time, man. You got it, Drew. Say hello to your family. It's great talking to you, man. Miss you at the ballpark. Yeah, you you as well. Uh, Say hello to Leanne and uh, be well. Get some rest, man. We'll see you. Big thanks to Troy. We'll do it again with him uh, coming up. Reminder, you know, Troy pops out a podcast twice a week, and you got to check it out on on the Broncos, and you can find it uh, wherever you find podcasts, right? Uh, It's everywhere, and uh, he gives you, again, up-to-date information on all things uh, Broncos. So make sure you download uh, Troy's podcast. Again, it uh, it comes out twice a week, and um, you'll be glad you did. A couple of notes before we uh, head on out today. I've mentioned this many times on my podcast, and I'm a big fan of Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon. I religiously listen to the PTI podcast. I don't generally catch the show on ESPN day to day, but I always listen to the podcast. I also listen to Tony Kornheiser's podcast, which I really enjoy. He, he cranks that out about three times a week. But um, they they even joke about this, but it drives me nuts that it's always a topic. And that is the Lakers. And they say, I don't know why we're talking about the Lakers, but the Lakers lost again last night. Da, 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 da. And the, it, it, hardly a day goes by that the Lakers are not mentioned. And I'm like, why? I understand they're an iconic franchise in the NBA. They're no good. I also understand that LeBron James is LeBron James. going to go down as one of the greatest players of all time. They're still no good. It's tiresome to keep uh, you know hearing about the Lakers. And yes, I know they beat uh, the Nuggets recently to produce their first victory. But I'm I'm kind of done with that. As we leave you, uh, congratulations to Brendan Rodgers. He wins a Gold Glove at second base this year. And in the same breath that I congratulate Brendan, he's made a lot of strides defensively. Because I would not have imagined, if you told me last year at this point in time, hey, Brendan Rodgers is going to be a gold glove winner next year, I would have said, ooh, boy, he's, you know, that's going to take quite a leap. Not that he was bad defensively, but he wasn't great. And he'd be the first to tell you that. Um, you know, there were some routine plays, routine double plays that, that weren't turned. And 
he was still making the transition from the left side. You know, he's been a shortstop his whole life. Uh, but he improved dramatically this year. He led all of baseball in defensive runs saved, which is a metric that, you know, sometimes I raise an eyebrow over made, uh, I think, more diving stops in the infield. They track such things than anybody else in baseball. Uh, but his improvement was dramatic, and uh, he won himself a gold glove. And that's awesome. Good for him. And uh, hopefully that uh, that play continues, and uh, we see the Rockies uh, improve defensively overall next year because they need to. It was one of the poorer seasons overall defensively by the club, which is has always been a staple uh, of the Rockies, even in lean years. So again, uh, congrats to Brendan Rogers. That'll do it for this uh, edition, number 174. Again, uh, big thanks to Troy Rank. Download his podcast, and um, we'll do it again in seven days. Enjoy your football weekend. Avs have been off. They're playing overseas, and um, we'll talk uh, all things Colorado sports and national sports again in a week. Take care. Stay safe.